Well, I'm so excited to be with you again. My name is Jeff Fuller, J. Fuller Interviews. J. Fuller Interviews on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, J. Fuller Interviews. And now the Backfire Podcast with Jeff Fuller, that's myself, of J. Fuller Interviews. And I believe people's stories make our stories much better as long as we take the time to listen, unlearn what we thought was right to relearn what is right. And one with a tremendous story is the one, the only Coach Pat Sullivan. Coach, how are you? Jeff, I'm doing great. And it's great to be with you. And you were on last uh, time, uh, almost a year ago or so, but uh, how have you done, how have you been this past year? Jeff, I've been great. Um, Had a little setback. I had a seven-hour back surgery, and uh, we're still waiting for the nerves to regenerate. But uh, all I got to do, Jeff, is look around. There's tons of people a lot worse off than Pat Solomon. So, so I'm doing fine. And there's a lot to be thankful for. I've certainly been reminded of that recently. And uh, I enjoy meeting people and uh, developing friendships, of which you certainly have become over, over the last few months. Uh, Pat, I just want to bring up your website, and it's just uh, CoachPatSullivan.com. And it talks a lot about your two books that you've written but it says that you are a leadership speaker. When you hear that title, what do you think of? Well, I, uh, I, I actually think of my book on attitude as the cornerstone of leadership. And I really believe, Jeff, that the, the most single most important thing in a leader is his or her attitude and the attitude that they bring to their work on a daily basis. And what I've done in, in the presentation is I've used the word attitude as an acronym and given each letter of the word a characteristic that might make for a quality leader. And real briefly, we talk about attitude, we talk about teamwork, we talk about toughness or tough-mindedness. When I talk about intelligence, I, I, I like to say this, Jeff, it, it gets down to your ability to listen and your perseverance to your core values. To me, that's what the intelligent people whom I've been around have done. The third T then is for thank you. So often the leaders or as leaders, we don't thank the people with whom we're working. And the letter U stands for you. D is determination. And when I say E for effort, I always like to say, Jeff, effort isn't enough. It must be consistent. Hmm. Great ones that I've worked with consistently can bring the best that they've got that day. None of us have our A game every day, but uh, that's a synopsis of what I think of when I think of a leadership speaker. And so many questions uh, on this that I want to get to in a moment. I listened to a sermon actually this morning, and the pastor, the preacher said that no wife wants to hear that her husband was faithful 364 days of the previous year. And I think that consistency is such a huge piece. I want to talk about the first T, about toughness or tough-mindedness, or the second T. Especially getting through a pandemic when people have been mentally tried, how have you maintained that mental awareness to be tough, to be uh, focused and uh, take that next step each day? Honest to God, Jeff, an attitude of gratitude. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, and then I, I read somewhere where people were talking about the what World War Two was like at home, and all the sacrifices yeah. that that the American people had to make to help those, you, you know, in combat. And when I when I read that, I thought, and we got it tough. Come on, <laughs> you yeah, know. Yeah. So I did a lot of reading, uh, did did some writing, and uh, my wife and I had great times together. So I missed my family, my my, my the five children. I missed the thirteen grandchildren. Uh, but but you know what all was said and Jeff done, Jeff. It really wasn't that tough. I I don't think. And again, Coach Pat Sullivan, CoachPatSullivan.com. And Coach, I wonder, as I was adopted, I was raised with a very patriotic family, and uh, you speak of the world wars and how families really had to come together. It almost seems that people are a little bit more selfish uh, than we used to be. Do you think that is true? And as you speak to audiences like that, how do you try to connect with them to be more selfless than selfish? Well, first of all, I I do agree with you, and I think that you know we we were the beneficiaries of of what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation, and I really believe that because those men and women fought, and and in a way gave a lot of their youth up doing that. Yeah. Then they came home and. For most of them, what did they do, Jeff? They sacrificed for us. And I think that the more more you're given, the softer you can become. Now, when I first went to the University of St. Francis to coach there, we didn't have a gym. We played in an armory. (laughs) And Jeff, as God is my judge, the one problem we had in the armory we couldn't get heat. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a dilapidated ar- armory. But I often think of those kids, you know, they, they had to get in a van, get to practice every day in an armory. The, the floor was like playing on concrete and you're coaching basketball. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I worried about shin splints every day. And then when we got our gym on campus, we were in that armory for 11 years. I think that when we got the gym, that maybe those kids didn't appreciate Mm. as much what they had. And and I always think back to the sacrifices. And and, and here was the beautiful part, Jeff. I never heard the kids complain. They just got in the vans. We went to the armory, we practiced, and uh, and we ended up with some pretty good teams, you know, despite those circumstances. So I do think we've, you know, we've been given so much that you really have to be careful not to be thankful for all we have. Right. Yeah, yeah and that's my... I think how uh, you grew up, that's what you remember, or hopefully you return to those values. And my dad, uh, he's 84 years old. Uh, Him and my mom celebrated their 58th wedding anniversary, June 6th. But this morning, my dad is on our backyard cutting up some firewood with a chainsaw. 
And I said, Dad, you do not have to do that. He's like, I know I don't have to, but I want to help you out. In that work ethic, I think growing up on a farm at the tail end of the Great Depression and hearing all those stories, it just developed something within him. And hopefully I can carry that on as and, well. And Jeff, I hope the same. My dad went to sixth grade and that, and for a good reason. He was It was the Depression. And he actually, that young, could could get a job and help his family out. And when I think of dad, and like you're saying with the farm, dad worked in factories all his life. And I, I, how did Mark Twain say it? Don't let school interfere with your education. Yeah, yeah. And, <clears throat> and I really believe all the PhDs that I work with, they were wonderful. But not one of them had the wisdom of mm -hmm. my father. And so I hope that as I grew, um, you know, I maybe part of that wisdom, you know, uh, rubbed off on me. And I'm certain it did. And uh, Pat, just thank you so much for making the time to uh, join again. Uh, your book that you came out with the last time we spoke is Team Building uh, from the Bench to the Boardroom. And we talked about Rudy Rudiger and how he uh, wrote the foreword to that. Could you just share again how you met Rudy and uh, how this all came to be and that, that friendship with him? It's funny that you ask. About two hours ago, I had to go into this business to, to turn something in. And the person who works there is Rudy's sister, Norma. <laughs> so I have known the family um, even before. I, I knew Rudy. We both went to the same high school. Then ironically, Jeff, the first job I had was at a different high school, Providence High School. And it was on what would be the east side of Joliet. And the, Rudy's family grew up in that area. So as you know from, from talking to him, he grew up in a family of 14 children. Yeah. And he had the greatest mother and father you could ever meet. So I knew Rudy was in, when he was in high school. I really got to know him when I was at Providence, where I taught or coached eight of the Rudiger children. So Rudy and I became pretty close then. And we've done some speaking, actually, together in, uh, in recent years. And uh, I just admire what he has done. And, and how about it, Jeff? If you looked in the dictionary under perseverance, there'd be no words. <laughs> just Rudy's picture. <clears throat> That's so true. And uh, for you, Coach Pat Sullivan, CoachPatSullivan.com. Um, not the important stuff, but probably the stuff uh, we talked about was more important. But where my interest is, is you are a basketball coach. And you've coached many players at many teams, been around some high-profile pro athletes, coaches uh, as well. When you think about going in and knowing something versus going in and wanting to learn something, how valuable is this second? It's everything. It's everything. A great example of that is my friend Pete Turgovich. He played on John Wooden's last team at UCLA. So at that point, Jeff, Coach Wooden's teams had won nine NCAA championships and seven in a row. So 
he was probably a pretty good coach. <laughs> and he was, Pete will tell you, throughout that whole year, John Wooden was telling his players how much he was learning about the game. Well, And he learned enough that part, <laughs> that particular year to win UCLA's 10th national championship. So if Coach Wooden could say that that he was learning after all that success. Uh, I, I, I think, I, I think when we think that we've got even most of the answers, we better check our oil. Yeah. <laughs> Cause there's uh, much more we have to learn. Oh, that's a great point. And talk to me a little bit about, I mean, the game has changed now collegiately. I certainly have not coached at that level, but with transfer students, with all of this talk, and it was sad for me to see being a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. Sure. Uh, the coaches resigning, even Coach Krzyzewski being a Tar Heel fan, it was sad to hear him saying this is his final year. But what can you say about some of these students that are, I don't want to sound cynical, but I guess I am, that are given promises that they can go to a college or go to transfer to a college for a year, then go make big money in the NBA. How wary should these kids be? When you were coaching, who else was speaking into their lives just to give them wisdom and not just be looking at the next greatest thing or the greener pasture they thought was on the other side of that, that fence? Jeff, that's a great question. I think I was fortunate because I grew up, think of these guys I grew up with, Dean Smith, John Wooden, El McGuire. And when you think of all those guys, this bothers me today. The one thing that their players did in that era when I grew up, they graduated. Yeah. They knew why they went to the university. And I've always said this. If anybody didn't have to go back and get his degree, it was that North Carolina game guy named Jordan. He was going to be able to feed his family, <laughs> whether he got that degree from North Carolina or not. But he went back and got it. Yeah. And he went back and got it because that was the culture. So what we're doing today, I don't like. I think this rule that you can just walk in and say, I'm going to transfer is so unfair to the universities. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've worked with you all year or two years or whatever it may be, Jeff. And now we're at a point where we got a chance to really be a good team. And at the last minute, you're going to transfer and have immediate eligibility. I don't like it. Even the thing that was passed, I don't understand all of it. Um, uh, yesterday by the, by the Supreme Court, yeah where we have to give the, the kids every educational advantage, whatever that means. Um, I'm thinking of this. I'm, I'm the father of five children. Nobody came and gave them a phone. Yeah, right. How about it, Jeff? And most of the people you and I know who have college degrees also have college loans, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and so I, Woody Hayes said it this way. Why would we ever pay the, and I know I'm in a minority, but I still believe this. Why would we ever pay the athletes when we are paying for the best thing that we can give them, their education? Yeah. So now when we got these guys transferring only because of basketball and having education on the back burner, 
I, I, I vehemently disagree with that. And, and Jeff, as you know, I'll, I'll finish with this on this point. I think the Division Threes and the Division Twos and the NAIAs are the ones today doing it right. Yeah. First of all, they don't have money. <laughs> you right. know, they don't have all the money to buy athletes and all that nonsense. But what's going on? Their kids are graduating. We had 176 seniors play at St. Francis. 172 of them finished their degrees. Hmm. And that's what's going on at our smaller schools. And that's wonderful. I had the opportunity to co um, interview Coach Adam Hooker at Sterling College, at NAIA school, and he just talked about that as well. And the importance of kids understanding uh, what life is all about. And Doug Gottlieb, I had um, the good fortune of interviewing him, and he takes a very similar take as you and I about paying kids uh, in college, but they need to understand what they are getting, not just the education, but everything else, the access to the facility, the medical care. is just beyond what your typical college student gets or uh, receives. But uh, my question is, in your first book, Attitude, the Cornerstone of Leadership, I wonder if this plays in as well. And I find it some, and even the local church that I pastor, what has happened to loyalty? Wow. Well, you said earlier, don't ever forget where you came from. And the neighborhood uh, that I grew up in, you know, I guess you would call a, a poor neighborhood. It was certainly on the wrong side of the tracks. And you know what, Jeff? I wouldn't trade that neighborhood for anything, for nothing. We were Irish, Italian, and Black. And you didn't need a, a sociologist or, or anyone to tell you, we're all one thing. We're all the human race. Come on. You know, and, and to me, that was the greatest part of my growing up, that you could be the only, I could be the only white youngster in the playground with 50 black kids. And what was, what was the, the factor? The factor wasn't whether you were white or black. The factor was, could you play? Yeah. <laughs> could you play or couldn't you play? And and you, you just learned that that you, you should be, I, I'm so grateful where I grew up. And, and I'll never forget the camaraderie in that neighborhood. Another guy from, uh, from our city, Jeff, his name is Tom Thayer. Played at Notre Dame, played on the 86 Bears, you know, the best bear team in, in Chicago Bear history. Yeah, yeah. Tommy has never forget forgotten that he came from little old Joliet, hmm. you know. And that's one of the beauties of, of him, that he's loyal to where he came from. And I, uh, I, I and, and again, what you're saying, the this new rule about transfer and you're immediately eligible, where's the loyalty? Right, right. Yeah. It, it, I think that's wrong. Yeah, and I look at uh, scouts and all the work they do, and a lot of colleges, they do not get paid enough or very much. And then after all that hard work, uh, a student just goes to uh, go somewhere else. I, I think it's disappointing and it's too bad. I just want to back up in your history. When did you first realize you enjoyed sports? Probably about fifth grade. 
because we were fortunate. They call it the CYO back then. Yeah. And and our teams, we could start competing in fifth grade. And then, of course, we had the Little League in the summers. So I, I, I remember distinctly, I started in my baseball at nine years old. And I'm sure, I, I don't know how old you are in fifth grade, 11, maybe 12, <laughs> however old you are. But that's when I just came to love sport. And my dad loved sport. So that was certainly a factor, Jeff. Uh, but but that early. What sport did your dad uh, play or play with you? Do you remember just playing catch or shooting baskets or kicking around a soccer ball as a kid? When my dad w was coming up during the Depression, he, he was a catcher in baseball. And he played guard in basketball. But... My dad's fingers looked like the Mississippi River. They were, they were all crooked from catching and foul tips, you know, hitting, hitting your hand. And I remember dad telling me there were no emergency rooms in those days, Jeff. He said they took a handkerchief and would tie your, your two fingers together and went back out and played. So, uh, so dad was a major factor because he loved sport and I – just myself, my brother, uh, we immediately took up that same love. What led you to basketball? I I think that, you know, in my younger years, <laughs> Jeff, these are great things to recall. Our basketball, we didn't have, much like St. Francis, we didn't have a gym, okay? So we practiced outside. Now, the Chicago area, can get a little rough in the winter. <laughs> and the court we practiced on had the chain nets so nobody would be stealing them. <laughs> and we it was actually a gravel surf surface. So we would we would practice, we'd have to shovel the snow. And then our coach was Dick Facino. Dick would get us ready to practice. You're gonna love this. Often we were practicing in our boots, our galoshes. And here's what Dick would tell us. You guys, you're lucky because when you go into a gym and you take those boots off and you put on those gym shoes, you're going to jump higher. Yeah. <laughs> we believed it. <laughs> and uh, so I think that, uh, you know, we, 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 we were fortunate. Again, we were from the wrong side of the tracks. So what do you do? You play ball all day. Hmm. So we had some pretty good teams. And then when I went into high school, I went into a high school that, you know, was sport oriented uh, academically as well, obviously, but, uh, but sport was important. And I gravitated to the basketball because I'd had a little bit of success and, you know, was able to, to play on the teams in high school. Now, did you know, or when did you know that you wanted to coach? My senior year at, uh, at high school, our faculty, used to play the seniors. Now, the senior basketball players were not allowed to play because the faculty had a win. <laughs> so primarily our football guys played in that game. So they asked me to coach them. And I'll never forget, after the game, one of the coaches whom I greatly admired said to me, you ought to think about coaching. Hmm. And I think that was the first time that I really thought I love sport and maybe that should be the way, way to go. Then I went to college 
and this is where I'm prejudiced, Jeff. I think I played for maybe the best college coach in America. Now, he was at a small college, so a lot of people didn't know. Well, he's the second winningest coach. His name is Gordy Gillespie in the history of college baseball. His basketball career, he played for Hall of Fame coach Ray Meyer at DePaul University, who, and they once played for the national championship. Then in football, his, his when they started the state championships in football in Illinois, well, Gordy won at the high school level. He coached both high school and college. He won five of them. And he only coached during that reign for about six, seven years. <laughs> At one point, they won 51 in a row. So think about it. How many coaches could excel at all three sports at a pretty high level? I mean, when I played pitch for Gordy at, uh, you know, at, at, at Lewis College, Lewis University. Now, we played Notre Dame. We played the University of Illinois. We, you know, we played the bigger schools and we had some pretty good players, Jeff. So we, we won our share. In fact, we beat the U of I 10 years in a row. So, <laughs> so that wasn't bad. <laughs> Again, Coach Pat Sullivan makes some time on YouTube. Check out the YouTube channel, Coach Pat Sully, and the website is coachpatsullivan.com. Uh before, when you were on, you spoke of Rick Majerus and uh, some of the coaches that you um, were able to rub shoulders with and be around. Could you just share when a coach that you looked up to, that you were mentored by, that you're an associate with, passes away? It, it, coaching is such a small family when you really look at it. How, how has that affected you seeing more and more of these great coaches just leave this earth? it's really affected me because it's affected the game in a way I don't like, you know, the coaches, Rick was the same as, as L and coach Wooden and, and coach Smith, Rick's kids graduated. So in an era where kids weren't graduating, Rick's kids did. And if I'm not mistaken, his Utah team, when they played Kentucky for the national championship, I, I'm, 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 Pretty certain this is correct. Jeff, he had three academic All-Americans on that team. Hmm. And I went out and I worked Rick's camps. So I got to know his Utah players. When he came to St. Louis, we would go down there, you know, and, and we'd watch like three days of practice in the preseason. And, and same thing at St. Louis. Those kids graduated. Marquette, same way. So Rick... I've often, I think I've used this terminology before uh, when we talked, Jeff. I thought Rick was like a basketball savant. His knowledge of the game was absolutely off the charts. And uh, I never saw him take a note. Hmm. It was all up here. He <laughs> was amazing that way. You know, and then, like we're saying, I, I had a unique experience, Jeff. I worked for a company in, in part-time doing clinics all over the country for him, directing clinics. So I got a chance to work a one-man clinic with Dean Smith. So you had Coach Smith for four hours in the hotel, only him wow. talking about philosophy and so forth. 
then on, on Friday night. Saturday, you went to the gym for seven hours. He taught. And I'm, I'm lucky to have that with Ruby Brown, to have that with Bob Knight, to have that with Dean Smith. So you're taking copious notes because you're fortunate to be learning from the best. And, and again, they, they were such solid men. And they were, they, they were men of faith. They, they had spiritual background, regardless of the formal religion. Right, right. All of them were spiritual men who treated a nobody like me, you know, or I mean, who they would had no idea when I started doing those clinics with them who I was. Well, they, they treated everybody with such kindness. Um, and I often said this, Coach Wooden and Coach Smith could be awaiting the shuttle to get to the airport. The clinic is over. Their speech is over. And I'm telling you, Jeff, if there was a fifth grade coach there, they'd be sitting with that coach while waiting for the shuttle. Wow. They were that kind to everyone. Yeah, what a lesson we can learn from that. And I like what you said about being spiritual or the, the holistic coaching. Sometimes you know the X's and O's, but sometimes these gentlemen, these coaches, they knew people even better. And uh, you know how people – you might forget what someone says, but you'll always remember how they make you feel and uh, what you just shared is representative of that. I just want to bring up one player. Andre Miller played at Utah. He is one of the few players that had a triple-double during March Madness, had a great pro career. For him to have a triple-double in that that game, that era, how much should that stand out or amaze? Because I still remember, because I graduated high school in 93, so it was right around that time. And I just remember it was just amazing to see, especially March Madness, a player get a triple-double. Can you talk about Andre Miller or players of that era that really did everything just in an effort to make their team win? I think you're really going to like this. We were in Chicago. It was a Friday night. Andre Miller was graduating from the University of Utah Saturday. Rick Majerus, we were all together. Rick took an early flight from O'Hare, Chicago O'Hare, because he promised Andre Miller's mother when he was recruiting him from South Central LA that he would be at his graduation. Wow. So that really encapsulates everything we're talking about, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. That, that Rick is in Chicago, but by gosh, he's going to get to Utah because he made a promise. Andre Miller, I mean, I don't know if Rick knew just how great a player he was going to become, how great a pro yeah. that he was going to become. And uh, he, he and Rick uh, just had a marvelous relationship till the day Rick passed. Coach, if you would, uh, CoachPatSullivan.com, it talks about the corporate motivational speaking. And uh, now that COVID has kind of loosened some of the guidelines and you're going to be able to travel more, can you just talk a little bit about switching from the hardwood, the basketball court, to a corporate setting and speaking? Was that something you had to adjust to? Were you intimidated by? Or what's it like to speak in that setting versus as far as in a, inside a gymnasium? I was intimidated by it. 
And then when I wrote my second book on team building, Jeff, I, I found 20 concepts that I thought were important in building a team in the athletic arena. Then I researched in business literature each concept. And I then found that building a team in athletics really is no different than building a team in business yeah. or, or in many arenas, I think, because some of the concepts that we thought were important, the first one I think is the most important, that as a leader in, in business or in, in, in athletics or any venue, caring. You've got to care about the people in your charge. And I always love that expression from John Maxwell. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think things like caring, knowledge, continuous learning, which we talked about. You're, you're, you got to be a lifelong le uh, leader, uh, learner. Things, how about things like failure? How do you handle failure? How about success? How do you handle success? How about your individual ego versus your team ego? So I found that all those characteristics, when you research the business literature, they were one and the same. And then finally, I think what helped me was that I realized that the great majority of business leaders, men and women, understood and appreciated athletics now from and i was worried about the woman's side and i was wrong because the the, the younger woman had the benefit of title nine yeah and they yeah. played and those that were older they drove their kids to volleyball games and tennis matches right all right, over right. so they saw the value of sport from their own children so i found that there was a a very close correlation between athletic leadership and business leadership. So coach, a couple of fun questions and we'll uh, get you out. Thanks again for making the time. Uh, coach Pat Sullivan, it's coach Pat Sully on uh, YouTube. When, if you were asked to do a coach's clinic and they just said, you can pick what you want to focus on, whether it's defense, ball handling, passing, what do you naturally uh, go towards in that realm of teaching basketball? Without question, the fundamentals. And I say that, and this was, we did things maybe a little differently, Jeff. Before we ever taught dribbling, passing, shooting, rebounding, we taught body balance and we taught footwork, starting, stopping, pivoting. Because when you think about it, the whole game of basketball emanates from balance because balance leads to quickness and it's not enough to do the fundamentals properly if you're going to be a good player you've got to be able to do them properly and quickly yeah and and then i really believe one of the lost arts that's not being taught to the extent that it should be taught today is footwork you know when you think about it you, your change of direction dribbles, they all depend on footwork. Yeah. If Rick Majerus was doing a shooting drill, the only thing he talked about was their feet. Hmm. You know, uh, passing, you better have good balance before you, I mean, balance and footwork 
permeate every fundamental. So that's what I talk about. And when I have been asked to, to speak at the clinics and they say, what topic would you like? I always say that because I think if I can give the coaches some of the little things within the fundamentals, then maybe I can help them with their teaching. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think uh, attention to detail, because sometimes we assume too much for some of these kids or some of these students that, oh, they know what it means to be unbalanced, but they don't. They know like all these fancy dribble moves, but uh, just to catch square is is new for them. Uh, why? Well, let me ask you, did you ever think about or ponder the possibility of coaching professionally? Well, I did have some some offers to actually to go with Rick Majerus, and uh, I th- there were reasons why I elected not to. Rick always gave me a hard time about it, but uh, I, I I was invited to a, a couple NBA uh, think sessions, you know, think, but uh, uh, no, I I never did think about the the NBA I did think about division one and I do I have friends one in particular who spent 26 years as an assistant coach in the NBA with nine teams and you can imagine how the knowledge right Jeff that he has from being able to coach at the highest level with nine different philosophies right. Yeah. So his name is Bob Osipka. In fact, he wrote a book, The Plays of the NBA. And, uh, I, you know, looking back, I have no regrets whatsoever. But if I could have a, a year or two working in the NBA where the only thing you're doing is basketball and your relationships with the players, that's all. You don't have to worry about graduation. Right. You don't have to worry about class. You're strictly doing basketball, studying film. I, I I would have enjoyed that. Coach, you mentioned the name Hubie Brown, and Hubie's still doing it, and he's uh, quite the gentleman from all reports that I've heard. Why do you think he is so good still, whether it's on TV or on uh, calling games, but just as interpersonal relationships, what is it about gentlemen like Hubie Brown that uh, just seemingly continue to make an impact on the sport of basketball? Well, I'm lucky there too, Jeff. I got to know pretty, Hubie pretty well. Um, he would come to the camps that we ran in Chicago three times every summer. So think about that. You're there listening to him. And every time he spoke, I learned something. Every mm-hmm. time. That's how detail-oriented UB was. Then we went down to Atlanta when he was coaching there because he invited coaches in to their preseason. And I'll never forget one of the kids, one of the Atlanta players, was injured. And here's what he said, Jeff. He came and sat with us, and he, he said, you know, coaches, he said, I played on five different NBA teams, five different coaches. He said, I have learned more in this camp from Yubi Brown than I did from the five coaches combined. And I think the reason that Yubi is so, so good on the game is 
when he was an assistant coach at Duke, he went up and down the East Coast doing camps. And I feel from all the years I did in the camps, I may have learned more, Jeff, in the camps than I did the clinics. Because why? You're with your peers. And you're with them for a week. So I think UB's background in all the camps, plus the fact the guy is brilliant. He's just a brilliant guy on or off the court. And and the detail, I don't think I ever worked with or listened to a coach as detailed as you be. And again, we're talking to Coach Pat Sullivan, coachpatsullivan.com. And a couple more questions. The more that I listen, the more questions I have. But I know that time is relatively limited. But um, students that don't play basketball in the off season or coaches that don't go to clinics or uh, really grow their mind when they're not coaching, how does it hurt their development? But just, and I have to, I guess I'm coming from an angle. I think life skills, you always need to be learning. And sometimes we want to take a day off and we don't realize how it's going to impact us in the future. So whether it's that of sport or whether that's just in life, how important is it that we don't take that proverbial day off? Oh, I, 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 I mean, it's it's critical, you know. the 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 moment you 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 stop learning as a coach, you're you're really in trouble. And one of the best clinics that I went to in my latter years of coaching was not a clinic. I would call a coach whom I had great respect for, often a high school coach, Chicago area. We have some terrific high school coaches. And I would go with an agenda and spend five hours. And that was the best clinics. In fact, one day Rick called me, George Carl, of course, at that time was coaching the Bucks, And he said, how would you like to come to Milwaukee and spend two days with George and I just talking basketball? <laughs> I said, well, I, I believe I got those two days. <laughs> I'm free. But, but what I did, Jeff, and you, you, you would do the same, I'm sure. I wasn't going to sit with those two minds. And, of course, George Carl was a Tar Heel, played in North Carolina. I wasn't going to sit with those guys without selfishly asking questions that I wanted to learn about. So I think I had 25 questions that I had written up, and and you couldn't have got better answers from those guys. Hmm. So you got to keep learning. With the players, I got a little bit of a different angle. I like multi-sport athletes, Jeff. I I think when kids have to learn different sports, then they're learning different fundamentals. They're really learning to listen and to work on those fundamentals. So I like guys who played multiple sports, but also did their basketball, you know, in, in the evenings because they love the game. Right, right. And I don't know what's right anymore. I know the the AAU programs give the kids opportunities we never had. But also, there was something about going to the playground, you know, and not having any adults around and and just playing ball because you loved it. So I I would hope the kids today definitely do the AAU. but also get with your buddies and just play pickup games. 
I agree with that. Often I've seen, and this is in the Northeast, so it's not necessarily a uh, basketball hotbed, but unless there's a scoreboard and referees, you don't see kids playing as much. And all you need is one kid that uh, can count to 21 and, and you're all set and you're good to go. But it's, it's something that I used to do and it's sad for me and I'm that person now that I drive by the the town court and nobody's playing and it's like what a what a waste and just get out there and shoot and play and we actually play old man pickup now Tuesday Thursdays because well we weren't allowed in the gym and but playing on blacktop full court maybe that's why some of these kids aren't playing as much because uh I know my body hurts <laughs> after that but uh Coach, again, I, I just respect you so much. And I think so much of what you shared, I've seen personally from you. And going to a clinic or a seminar, it's great. But having someone that you can reach out individually and know that they care, I think that's all that people need sometimes to know that, you know, their questions are being listened to, they are being answered. And you responded a couple times to me this past year about something specific that I was asking about coaching. And I just appreciate your uh, integrity and not just talking about it, but actually doing it so much. So I just wanted to say thank you, coach, for uh, for being there for me. Let me finish with one thought. Having coached 44 years, if I had to say, you know, what's coaching about? I get it to one word, relationships. You're so blessed to work with great kids. That's what it's all about. And thank you. I I thoroughly enjoy visiting with you, Jeff. Well, definitely. And uh, the last question that I have for you is kind of because I'm curious. And I grew up in Vermont when everybody was a Celtics fan. And as I mentioned, right. I'm I'm 46 years old. So the 80s were, you know, the prime time of my basketball uh, love where it really developed. So I grew up a Lakers fan, not a Celtics fan fan and then since you know growing up and being here i follow the celtics a lot more now for you who are the two teams that you were in conflict on who should you like whether it was basketball or whether it was football or a different sport it would be our chicago bulls you know when i when i was younger they were just beginning of course right uh so like you now i went with the celtics <laughs> celtic fan more than a laker fan although I love Magic and the teams he played on. Uh, but, boy, what a rivalry that was. Um, and and uh, I just loved and, and, and that, that expression that I mentioned earlier came from Bill Russell. Here's what he said. He said, when the Celtics walked into a building for practice or a game, we took our individual egos we left them at the door, but what we had was team ego, you know, that you may beat us, but if you're going to beat us, you better bring a great game because we know we are. Yeah, that team ego, that's uh, something to be said and something to be proud of. That's something that uh, I miss. And my son, who's a freshman in college now, and he wasn't an all-star, but he just misses being on a basketball team, practicing together, being on bus rides together, going on trips together. There's really nothing like it. So take full advantage if you're at that age and uh, are able to do so. But coach, thanks so so much for making the time and uh, we'll get you on again soon. I'd love to, Jeff. Take good care and thank you. 
And again, that's Coach Pat Sullivan, CoachPatSullivan.com. Also on YouTube, it is Coach Pat Sully. And I do want to talk about his latest book, Team Building from the Bench to the Boardroom. So maybe you're not a sports fan, but you want to learn leadership lessons, certainly jump to that. And then Attitude, as he broke down uh, the cornerstone of leadership, Attitude, Relationships, we all can do better and we all can live more if we'll just make the time to listen to one another and to learn from each other. With that, I'm out. Thanks so much. Jay Fuller Interviews, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And now the Backfire Podcast with, yes, myself, Jeff Fuller of Jay Fuller Interviews on Apple iTunes and Google Podcasts. Thanks, everybody.